Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 131 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And this week we begin with a consideration of whether Comb could be the biggest data breach of all time. We then have news that if you use the responsive menu plugin in WordPress, you are well advised to update your version of the plugin. We then have news that here in the UK, the Competition and Markets Authority has recorded an increase in the number of data breaches by its employees. We then look at why addressing an email to the wrong person can be an expensive mistake. We then have an update on the data breach on the police national computer here in the UK. And then we have a news release from Experian, who've issued an update on an alleged data breach at their Brazilian subsidiary, Serasa. We then travel to Italy, where Italian, the booking software provider, has been fined for breaches of GDPR. We then look at could GDPR Article 49 provide a possible solution to the issues raised by the SREMS 2 court case last year. We then look at the interchange between payment services, PSD2, and GDPR. And we then travel to Ireland, where the Irish DPC has fined University College Dublin €70,000 for various breaches of GDPR. And in remaining in Ireland, the Irish DPC itself has been criticised for using outdated Lotus Notes technology. And finally this week, we have an update on the EU Privacy Directive, which has taken a step forward towards becoming regulation. So as always, a good mix of articles for you in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. As always, we hope you find the information useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive and where possible we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to reply to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. We begin this week with what is being billed as possibly the biggest data breach of all time. Named the Compilation of All Breaches, or COME, the leak consists of 3 billion user credentials and it's more likely than not that your password is in it. The data set has been drawn from a number of hacks of companies including Netflix and LinkedIn. If you're still using the same username or passwords that you've used for years, then you'll very likely have been caught up in this hack. To see if you've been caught up, then we recommend using the tool which we've discussed before on Digital Weekly Show from Cyber News, which you can get to by going to https colon slash slash cybernews.com forward slash personal hyphen data hyphen leak hyphen check. So we really do recommend that you go and have a check with your email address and password at Cyber News at the URL we've just published and see if you're affected. And if you are, obviously then change your username or password or both on any services that you use on the internet we suspect there'll be further updates on comb as we go through 2021 and we will of course bring them to you in future episodes of the gdpr weekly show want to ask gdpr questions live come and join our gdpr surgery on clubhouse thursday 4 p.m uk time if you use wordpress and more importantly if you use the wordpress responsive menu plugin then it is being recommended strongly that you update that plugin to the latest available version as a data breach has been discovered to be possible of your website by using a flaw that's within the current version of the responsive menu plugin. The issue which was detected by WordFence would enable hackers to execute remote code on your website. 
to abuse the said critical vulnerability, the attackers were found to have logged in as normal subscribers or just another low-level user that needed to upload the menu themes archived as a particular zip file that practically contains some malicious PHP. After the whole archive is then extracted, the hacker is said to be able to access the files through a site front end in order to remotely execute the said malicious code. Express Tech, the company that is behind the responsive menu plugin, has already patched the security issue. It's recommended if you are using this plugin that you check the version you have. There are a good number of sites running versions 4.0 up to 4.03. It's very important if you are running any of those versions of the plugin that you update the plugin to version 4.04. This should prevent any future intrusion of your site via the responsive menu plugin. The UK Competitions and Markets Authority, the CMA, has confirmed that through 2019 and 2020, they had 81 cases of unauthorised disclosure of information, while 40 of its devices were lost or stolen. Given the role that the CMA plays within the UK business landscape, any information that falls in the wrong hands could be hugely damaging for the organisations concerned. In its regulatory role, the CMA handles internal business reports, email communications and other sensitive data, which malicious actors could ultimately profit from. Despite the sensitive nature of the information handled by the CMA, it seems that its data protection safeguards are not working as well as they could be. The number of breaches that have taken place over the last two years is more than 145 recorded across 2017 and 2018, indicating that its procedures are in need of improvement. The CMA says that there is no indication that any of its investigations are compromised by the breaches, although five of the incidents were reported to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. Three of these even led to procedural technical changes being implemented to prevent similar incidents from occurring in the future. If you want to make sure that your procedures are up to date and are working as effectively as they could be, we'd be delighted to carry out a GDPR audit for you. To do that, just please contact us using the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that a number of times we've mentioned that the most common data breach by far is the sending of an email to the wrong person or the inclusion of someone in a CC of an email which discloses their email address when you should be using BCC, particularly if it's for an email address external to your own organisation. Well, that very data breach has proved expensive for a company in Germany this week. A bank sent an email with confidential personal data to an uninvolved third party. The regional court of Darmstadt ruled that the bank had to pay a fine of €1,000 for violating GDPR. The case was based on an employment application process. The latter plaintiff had applied for a job at the bank via an internet portal. The bank's response email did not reach the applicant but went to an uninvolved third party. The email did not only contain personal data and the applicant's interest in the job, but also their salary expectation. Not until the bank realised its mistake did it send the email to the applicant as well. The bank did not tell the applicant that it had also sent the email to a third party accidentally, but the third party, who happened to know the applicant, had already forwarded the bank's message to him. At first, he didn't do anything. It was only after his application failed that he complained about the incorrect sending the email by the bank and the fact that he had not been informed as immediately, he claimed damages of €2,500 for a violation of GDPR. In addition to the penalty, the regional court of Darmstadt did decide to award him damages but considered an amount of €1,000 to be more appropriate. They said that as a result of a breach of the data protection law, the plaintiff had been exposed to a high risk to his personal rights and freedoms. For this reason, the plaintiff should have been notified without undue delay pursuant to Article 34 of GDPR. 
damage is already occurred by sending the message to an uninvolved third party because personal professional information had therefore been devolved to an uninvolved third party. The plaintiff had thus lost control over who had knowledge of his application, if his information had been passed on to possible competitors for the job, or if his employer had found out he was now making an application for a new job, the plaintiff could have suffered severe disadvantage. Additionally, the court ruled that the bank had been in breach of its duty of notification. The bank should have informed the plaintiff without delay, i.e. without culpable hesitation, that it had accidentally sent the email to the wrong addressee. The bank did have the opportunity to appeal the penalty to the higher regional court of Frankfurt, and they've not yet indicated whether they intend to do so, but we'll keep an eye on this case, and if they do appeal, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Back in episode 127, we brought you news about a data breach from the Police National Computer here in the UK, where more than 15,000 records were lost. This week, the policing officer, Kit Malthouse, revealed to the House of Commons the true scale of the problem when he said in a written statement that a total of 209,550 offence records relating to 112,697 individuals had been deleted from the Police National Computer, which is run by the Home Office and used by forces across the UK. That had included the entire records of 15,089 people. Mr Malthouse said the deletion was the result of a coding mistake on the 10th of January. The error affects fingerprints, DNA and arrest records, and the government hopes to contain the damage and that no records will be permanently lost. The Labour Party described the loss as catastrophic, warning that it could mean criminals could go free. Mr Malthouse said that fewer than 200 fingerprint records have been erased and that work is yet to be completed to recover lost fingerprint and DNA records held on other linked systems. Also yet to be completed was work to ensure we are deleting any data that should have been deleted as usual when this incident first began. Mr Malthouse went on to say we have also confirmed that no records of convictions have been deleted. Our analysis shows that 99.5% of deleted records were created prior to 2011. Technicians are confident that all the data which has been deleted can be restored. However, this restoration will take another 12 weeks, he said. In the meantime, police are having to use alternative record systems and hope that nothing is missed. He said while the data is incomplete, there is a possibility that law enforcement partners will not have access to records and information that could help progress their inquiries and investigations. The government has appointed former Metropolitan Police Commissioner Lord Hogan Howe to investigate why the blunder occurred. Lord Hogan Howe is due to release the first draft of his report next month. The Shadow Home Secretary, Nick Thomas Simmons, said, This statement confirms many of the worst fears about the impact of this catastrophic data loss. Even in the best case scenario, there will be three months during which criminals could walk free due to a dangerous lack of police records. We do not trust the government, with its appalling lack of leadership and grip, will be able to rectify these huge errors. Ministers need to take personal responsibility for this huge security breach. When we've had sight of Lord Hogan Howe's draft report, we'll of course bring you an update in an upcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Experian says it has failed to run out any evidence that Brazilian subsidiary systems have been compromised from the reports of a data breach impacting millions of the country's residents. In a press release, Experian said it had launched a detailed forensic investigation following reports that sensitive personal data belonging to more than 220 million Brazilians was being sold online. The data breach is claimed to have originated from Experian Serasa, the credit rating agency's subsidiary in Brazil. 
in what has been described as the largest personal data leakage in Brazilian history, Open Democracy said a 14-gigabyte file was up for sale on the dark web, while a condensed version was being offered at no cost. However, Experian says there is no evidence that their technology systems have been compromised. The company added the data offered includes photographs, social security numbers, vehicle registrations and social media login details, which Sarasa does not collect or hold. Experian said protecting the security data of our customers is our number one priority and is an obligation we take extremely seriously. To Italy now, and the Italian Data Protection Authority has issued a €40,000 fine against an Italian software company, Micropass SRL, for GDPR violations connected to the use of its appointment booking system. Micropass provides to its clients, which are largely public and private entities including health facilities, an appointment booking system called Tapasi, which allows its users to book visits at these facilities. The system will be used amongst others through the Tapasi mobile app, Tapasi website and totems positioned at the offices of the entities. To use Tapasi via the mobile app or website, the users had to register an account and choose from a list of available services offered to them along with a date and time of the appointment. As a result, Micropass collected through the system personal data of the users both when they register their accounts, name, surname, fiscal code, mobile number, email address, and at the time of booking an appointment, chosen facility, date, time, type of service, etc. In addition, the system allowed the entities to process personal data of their staff who processed various user requests. Micropass also provided assistance and maintenance services, amongst others, via direct access to the servers of the entities. The data regulator's position was that when a user registers an account and makes an appointment via the mobile app or website, Micropass acts in the capacity of data controller. The relevant legal issue is whether the data controller has an appropriate legal basis for the processing. The data authority ruled that in relation to the processing of non-sensitive personal data of the users, then Durant could rely on the legal basis of performing a contract, which is Article 6, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph B of GDPR. However, when users make appointments with providers of healthcare services, MyRepass processes personal data relating to health, such as the type of healthcare service chosen, i.e. taking of blood samples, physiotherapy, dentistry, etc. That category of personal data belongs to the so-called special categories of personal data from GDPR Article 9, Paragraph 1. For such data to be lawfully processed, one or more of the exceptions under GDPR Article 9, Paragraph 2 from the general prohibition to process special categories of data needs to exist. Myropass could have relied only on explicit consent of the users as the exception, but failed to obtain such consent. The Data Authority therefore found that, that Myropass was in violation of Article 9 of GDPR. During its investigations, the Data Authority established that the maintenance and assistance services which Myropass provided via direct access to the servers of the entities allowed Myropass to have access to and process the personal data of two categories of data subjects, the users of Tipassi and employees of the entities, the customers of Myropass. It was the opinion of the Data Authority that in this scenario Myropass also acted as a data processor. As a result, the respective entity as data controller and Myopass as a data processor had to have in place a processing agreement pursuant to GDPR Article 28. The data authority found that Myopass lacked processing agreements with a number of its clients. This meant that during the provision of maintenance and assistance services, Myopass processed the personal data to use the capacity and its employees at the entities in absence of an appropriate legal basis. With that failure, Myopass was in breach of Article 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph A, and Article 6 of GDPR. 
So what can we note from this decision? Well, largely, that it is increasingly important that data processors have to ensure that they have a GDPR Article 28 data processing agreement in place before commencing any processing of data. It is clear under GDPR that the data controller is liable if it has no Article 28 data processing agreement in place with the data processor. The data authority did not hold that when MyPass had the data processor, it was in breach of Article 28. However, it seems that the absence of a data protection agreement was the reason why the data authority found MyPass liable for absence of an appropriate legal basis for processing personal data. If you are a data processor or indeed a data controller with data processors and you don't have Article 28 data processing agreements in place with your data processors, then please do contact us using the contact details that are coming up in a few moments so that we can help you get those agreements in place. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you have heard us a number of times mention the SREMS 2 case last year and the subsequent application of standard contractual clauses to allow the transfer of data between the EU and countries outside the EU, which up to now has principally been the USA, but of course now could also include the UK from the middle of this year. A new possibility of how to get around this issue arose this week when Professor Dr. Von Danvitz, the judge in the SWIMS 2 case, suggested the possibility that it might be possible for organisations to use derogations in Article 49 of GDPR as an alternative to using standard contractual clauses. His view was that the scope of Article 49 remains untested by the Central Court of European Justice and therefore that organisations should consider this as an option, especially for data transfers within the same group of companies. So there's a couple of things here we need to consider. The first is whether they have the data subject to explicit consent and second that the transfer is necessary to perform the performance of contract with the data subject. Be cautious around explicit consent where the data subject is actually an employee of your company. But other than that, that could be a useful clause to use to allow data transfer outside of the EU, providing you've explained very clearly when the user has given their consent, what it is they're consenting to. So I'll give you an example. I don't think it would be adequate to say, by ticking this box, you'll give us consent for us to transfer your data outside of the EU or outside of the UK. I think what would be, though, is to say, by ticking this box, you'll give us consent to transfer your data to the USA for the purposes of dot, 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 whatever the processing is that you're carrying out in the USA. Or indeed, if you're in the EU, what processing you're carrying out in the UK, or vice versa. A recent EDPB guidance on Article 49 suggests that the regulators intend to interpret Article 49 more strictly. However, the comments from the judge in this case do perhaps show that a wider interpretation of Article 49 could receive a more sympathetic ear at the European Court of Justice rather than it does at the European Data Protection Board. We're going to explore this further in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show because Article 49 could provide a very neat solution in some circumstances, but we would urge you at the moment to seek advice before you use it. While the end of 2020 was noticeable for the EU and the UK concluding a trade agreement and also an extension, at least until the middle of this year, of the UK as an adequate country for GDPR purposes, 
It wasn't the only activity taking place at the end of 2020 because in December 2020, the European Data Protection Board, EDPB, adopted new guidelines in relation to the relationship between the Second Payment Services Directive, PSD2, and GDPR, setting out clear guidance for payment service operators with regard to how the personal data which they process may be dealt with in a GDPR-compliant manner. PSD2 was adopted into law in 2018 and is a critically important piece of EU legislation as it seeks to ensure legal certainty for consumers, merchants and companies within the payment chain while also serving to modernise the EU legal framework for payment services in general. The interplay between PSD2 and GDPR is very important due to the fact that payment service operators may access and process large quantities of personal financial data, much of which may be considered sensitive personal data under GDPR. As a result, controls of personal data who are subject to provisions of PSD2 are required to always ensure compliance with GDPR. One of the most important aspects of PSD2 is the introduction of two new types of payment service providers, Account Information Service Providers, AISPs, and Payment Initiation Service Providers, PISPs. The difference between the two is that AISPs are companies which are authorised to access an individual or company's account data by the relevant bank, an example might be a money management or budgeting application, while PISPs are companies which do not only access an individual or company's account data, but also authorised to make payments on behalf of their customers by initiating transfers directly to or from a user's bank account. So what of the relationship between PSD2 and GDPR? The recent guidelines adopted by the EDPB set out a number of important examples. Donations to political parties or organisations, churches or parishes revealed to AISPs could reveal the political opinions and religious beliefs of an individual. Likewise, the deduction of an annual membership fee from a person's bank account could reveal their trade union membership. It's also possible, of course, that personal data concerning health may be added from analysing medical bills paid by a data subject. And also, information on certain purchases may reveal information concerning a person's gender, sex life or sexual orientation. For AISPs and PISPs, payment services are provided on a contractual basis between the service provider and the user, allowing AISPs and PISPs to rely on the legal basis of contractual necessity under Article 6, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph B of GDPR in order to process the personal data of the user. However, it's important that the service provider must be able to demonstrate how the objects of the contract with the user cannot be performed if the specific processing of the personal data in question does not occur. Of course, in all of this, particular attention must also be paid to the principles of data minimisation, data protection by design and default, and data security. The EDPB guidelines also set out what they are calling silent party data. This is where silent party data relates to the personal data of a third party who is not a party to the contract between the service provider and the user. According to the guidelines, where a payment service user, data subject A, makes use of the services of an AISP, and the data subject B has made a series of payment transactions to the payment account of data subject A. In this case, data subject B is regarded as a silent party, and the personal data, such as the account number of data subject B, and the amount of money that was involved in transactions relating to data subject B, is regarded as silent party data. Clearly, consent of the silent party is not feasible, because in order to obtain consent, personal data of the silent party would have to be collected or processed, for which no legal ground to be found under Article 6 of GDPR. As a result, an AISP or PISP must implement technical measures to make sure that silent party data is not processed for any purpose other than that for which it was originally selected.
The EDPB has recommended that AISPs and PISPs implement a number of helpful tools to provide the information required under GDPR to their users. One such mechanism to consider may be a privacy dashboard, which will allow users to manage their privacy preferences and provide information with regard to the nature and quantity of personal data that's been accessed by the service provider. Layered privacy statements, which avoid displaying a vast quantity of technical privacy information to the user all in one go, are also in order to ensure the information contained in these statements is effective. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. While the end of 2020 was noticeable for the EU and the UK concluding a trade agreement and also an extension, at least until the middle of this year, of the UK as an adequate country for GDPR purposes, it wasn't the only activity taking place at the end of 2020 because in December 2020, the European Data Protection Board, EDPB, adopted new guidelines in relation to the relationship between the Second Payment Services Directive, PSD2, and GDPR, setting out clear guidance for payment service operators with regard to how the personal data which they process may be dealt with in a GDPR-compliant manner. PSD2 was adopted into law in 2018 and is a critically important piece of EU legislation as it seeks to ensure legal certainty for consumers, merchants and companies within the payment chain while also serving to modernise the EU legal framework for payment services in general. The interplay between PSD2 and GDPR is very important, due to the fact that payment service operators may access and process large quantities of personal financial data, much of which may be considered sensitive personal data under GDPR. As a result, controls of personal data are subject to provisions of PSD2 are required to always ensure compliance with GDPR. One of the most important aspects of PSD2 is the introduction of two new types of payment service providers, Account Information Service Providers, AISPs, and Payment Initiation Service Providers, PISPs. The difference between the two is that AISPs are companies which are authorised to access an individual company's account data by the relevant bank. An example might be a money management or budgeting application. While PISPs are companies which can not only access an individual company's account data, but also authorised to make payments on behalf of their customers by initiating transfers directly to or from a user's bank account. So what of the relationship between PSD2 and GDPR? The recent guidelines adopted by the EDPB set out a number of important examples. Donations to political parties, organisations, churches or parishes revealed to AISPs could reveal the political opinions and religious beliefs of an individual. Likewise, the deduction of an annual membership fee from a person's bank account could reveal their trade union membership. It's also possible, of course, that personal data concerning health may be gathered from analysing medical bills paid by a data subject. And also, information on certain purchases may reveal information concerning a person's gender, sex life or sexual orientation. For AISPs and PISPs, payment services are provided on a contractual basis between the service provider and the user, allowing AISPs and PISPs to rely on the legal basis of contractual necessity under Article 6, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph B of GDPR in order to process the personal data of the user. However, it's important that the service provider must be able to demonstrate how the objects of the contract with the user cannot be performed if the specific processing of the personal data in question does not occur. Of course, in all of this, particular attention must also be paid to the principles of data minimisation, data protection by design and default, and data security. The EDPB guidelines also set out what they are calling silent party data. 
This is where silent party data relates to the personal data of a third party who is not a party to the contract between the service provider and the user. According to the guidelines, where a payment service user, data subject A, makes use of the services of an AISP, and the data subject B has made a series of payment transactions to the payment account of data subject A. In this case, data subject B is regarded as a silent party, and the personal data, such as the account number of data subject B and the amount of money that was involved in transactions relating to data subject B, is regarded as silent party data. Clearly, consent of the silent party is not feasible, because in order to obtain consent, personal data of the silent party would have to be collected or processed, for which no legal ground to be found under Article 6 of GDPR. As a result, an AISP or PISP must implement technical measures to make sure that silent party data is not processed for any purpose other than that for which it was originally selected. The EDPB has recommended that AISPs and PISPs implement a number of helpful tools to provide the information required under GDPR to their users. One such mechanism to consider may be a privacy dashboard, which will allow users to manage their privacy preferences and provide information with regard to the nature and quantity of personal data that's been accessed by the service provider. Layered privacy statements, which avoid displaying a vast quantity of technical privacy information to the user all in one go, are also in order to ensure the information contained in these statements is effective. To Ireland now, and the Irish State Protection Commission, the DPC, has imposed a €70,000 fine on University College Dublin for various breaches of GDPR and keeping data longer than necessary and delay in notifying the Data Protection Commission of a data breach. DPC launched an investigation into seven data breach notifications it had received from University College Dublin between August 2018 and January 2019 and carried out a site inspection. The personal data breaches concerned unauthorised third parties accessing email accounts and login credentials of University College Dublin email accounts being posted online. The decision found that University College Dublin had failed to process personal data on its email service in a manner that ensured appropriate security of the personal data using appropriate technical and organisational measures, therefore breaching Article 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph F and Article 32, Paragraph 1 of GDPR, that they had stored certain personal data in an email account in a form which permitted the identification of data subjects for longer than necessary for the purpose for which personal data was being processed, Breaching Article 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph E of GDPR, and for failing to notify one of the personal data breaches to the DPC without undue delay. This breach was notified 13 days after University College Dublin became aware of it, breaching Article 33, Paragraph 1 of GDPR. The DPC imposed an administrative fine on University College Dublin of €70,000 in respect to these infringements. It also ordered University College Dublin to bring its processes and operations concerning its email services into compliance with Articles 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph F and Article 32, Paragraph 1 of GDPR and issued University College Dublin with a reprimand in respect to these infringements. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. Remaining in Ireland, the Irish DPC found itself subject to some criticism this week when a Freedom of Information request served by the Irish Council for Civil Liberties revealed that the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, is yet to complete a major IT overhaul that it started of its own systems back in 2016, with the result that it is still using what is now considered outdated Lotus Notes technology. It's understood that the DPC has spent over €1 million Euros on the new system. 
The plan system is needed in order to manage caseloads, workflow and reporting and would be used to manage a complete case lifecycle. This platform would also connect to virtually every aspect of the DPC staff work, including emails and calendars. The DPC has previously come under criticism for the length of time it's taken to carry out investigations into a number of large IT suppliers, including Twitter and WhatsApp, who have their European bases in Dublin and therefore fall under the Irish DPC for GDPR investigation. The DPC claimed in its 2017 annual report that moving to a new IT system was required for the DPC to effectively roll out GDPR and that it would enhance how the DPC managed queries, complaints and investigations. ICCL claims that the DPC first aimed to complete the overall in 2017, but that system was never developed. Data Protection Commissioner Helen Dixon said that when the system was a key goal for 2018, the GDPR came into force. After issuing a request for tender for in December 2017, the DPC waited until July 2018 to sign a statement of work with a contractor. Internal documents show the DPC penciled in a new launch date of October 2018 and decided to overhaul only the most essential aspects of the new system to make sure it could meet the deadline. However, this deadline also passed without the system being ready. The DPC's strategy statement for 2019 mentioned that a new IT system would again be a priority that year, although minutes from a February 2019 meeting showed that procurement had not yet begun for essential components. Staff training was also yet to begin. Then in July 2019, DPC began procuring the infrastructure to host the new system with an expected completion date of March 2020. This date also passed and the DPC commissioned a design review of the planned system with a focus on its own security. Then in October 2020, when the 2021 budget allocations from the Irish government were announced, Dixon said additional funding were allowed to continue with key strategic projects such as the completion of a new case management system. A spokesman for the Irish DPC said that the regulator has a functional and fit-for-purpose case management system that's been optimised with new features over the last few years. The system, however, is limited added because it's based on Lotus Notes technology and is limited with how it can be integrated with the DPC's website, web forms and the shared platform between EU data regulators. Significant work in specifying the system and building its core modules has been completed. Some delays in delivery have occurred because of updates to specification of security and infrastructure elements. Some other elements have on demand from the DPC been slowed in order to allow for the resolution between EU DPAs of final intended processes such as those involved in Article 60 cooperation and consistency mechanism under GDPR. The spokesman went on to say that nonetheless progress continues on the system investment and that the core modules of the new system will be rolled out in the spring of 2021. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. Some four years after the European Commission proposed its draft e-privacy regulation, the Presidency of the Council of the EU has announced that Member States have reached an agreement on a draft text. The proposed regulation will now enter trilogue negotiations between the Commission, the Council and the European Parliament. The e-privacy regulation is a proposed law to replace existing EU laws regulating the privacy of electronic communications, the use of cookies and other tracking technologies and electronic marketing. Current laws are out of date, do not reflect modern technology or communication services. Among the proposals in the e-privacy regulation are extending the rules of confidentiality of communications to over-the-top service providers and updating ineffective laws on the use of cookies, device fingerprinting and tracking technologies. As with GDPR, the new law will take the form of a regulation. That means it has direct effect in Member States, which should ensure greater consistency. The Commission proposed a draft text way back in January 2017. 
Part of the reason it's taken the council so long to reach agreement on the text is to do with issues such as online behavioural advertising and the use of cookies on websites, which we've covered numerous times here on the GDPR Weekly Show. On cookie walls, the new draft text states that the organisations can make access to a website conditional upon consent to the use of cookies, but the user has to have a genuine choice. That means the user must be presented with an equivalent way of accessing the website or service that does not involve consenting to cookie. On the electronic marketing, the council text agrees with the retention of soft opt-in for marketing to existing customers of goods and services. The council text does, however, permit member states to limit the period during which electronic marketing can be sent following the purchase of goods or services. So how does this affect the UK, since the UK is no longer a member of the EU? Well, the final regulation will not apply in the UK. UK e-privacy law remains based on the 2002 directive. It remains to be seen whether and to what extent the UK government decides to mirror the newly adopted e-privacy regulation. However, even if the UK government does not mirror the e-privacy regulation, it will still be relevant to many UK businesses. That's because the e-privacy regulation will contain similar provisions to GDPR on territorial scope. This means UK businesses that provide electronic communication services to users in the EU, use tracking technologies or send electronic marketing to users in the EU, will be taught by the new regulation. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurer production. Until next time, bye-bye.